Today on Basic, iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. When they started calling us supermodels, I thought it was silly. What does that mean? That we have capes and we change in phone booths. Like, and I always say that I credit House of Style with giving me an opportunity to talk and add another dimension to you know how people saw me. If you think about it, we were so ahead of the time. Fashion is an art. It's also a business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive and living proof that one day everyone will have their own podcast. And I'm Jen Cheney, a TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and living proof that someday everyone will have a podcast with Doug Herzog. Basic is the official podcast of the unofficial history of basic cable television. Jen and I talk about everything from MTV to Mad Men, exploring the shows, networks, personalities, and milestone moments that define TV in the glorious era of basic cable. Today, we're joined by Cindy Crawford, who's probably best known for being a supermodel. But when MTV asked her to host House of Style, her career went to another level. That's right, Jen. Along with her legendary Pepsi commercial and the groundbreaking George Michael Freedom 90 video, she became much more than a pretty face. In fact, she became an icon. Let's listen to our chat with Cindy Crawford. All right. Well, Cindy, we are so excited to have you with us. Thanks for being on Basic. Well, thank you for having me. Do you remember when you got basic cable and what your reaction to it was? It's funny. I don't actually remember when we got basic cable. What I can say is we were not the first people on the block to have it. We were probably the last people on the block to have it. I remember going to friends at house who had it though. Mm -hmm. And you grew yeah. up uh, in Illinois, right? Yeah. I grew up in a small town, um, not even suburban Chicago, like 60 miles west of uh, uh, Chicago. It's called DeKalb, Illinois. And it was a great place to be from, as I always say. <laughs> <laughs> when you would go to friends' houses, what did you watch? Do you remember? You know, I, I actually think the very first thing that I saw on cable was MTV. And I remember, or or at least that it made an impact. I remember being in, you know, like my friends, not basement, but it was like a split level ranch and like the kids hung out like in the family room in the lower part and this new thing called MTV was on. And it was just so like, wow, like there's video with music. What is this thing? <laughs> um, you know, cause on Friday nights, we, you would just go hang out at, you know, people's houses and, and that's the first time, yeah, that's that's my first real memory of it. Now, you got into the modeling thing pretty early, right? You were still back at the Calvin High School when you first started modeling a little bit? Yes, I was a junior in high school. It's actually kind of a funny story because in DeKalb, there was like one local photographer who, you know, took pictures of everything from like a house that burned down to high school football games. And I think he saw me in the bleachers at like a high school football game and asked if he could take my pictures for the, he also did pictures weekly for the college paper. It was like the, the weekly thing. There was like a co-ed of the week and he wanted to photograph me for that, which my parents thought was super creepy. So they wanted to come with me to the shoot, which they did. And it and it wasn't super creepy. He was actually a nice guy. And that was my first time like being in front of the camera. And it was like not an overnight success. Like it wasn't like, okay, I did that. And then I was on the cover of Vogue. There was a lot of, you know, bra modeling for department stores and less glamorous stuff in between. But eventually I did end up in New York. Yes. Did you feel like it came naturally to you the first time you kind of got in front of the camera or did it take some work to feel more comfortable? It did not come natural. It's so interesting because I have a daughter now who is a big model and people I remember when she started modeling when she was like 15 and people were like how can you you know let her model so young and I was like really every young girl is a model today they all know their best angles they've all got their selfies they you know they understand photography and how to make things look good for the camera in a way that none of us ever did. I mean, I remember my, my grandmother had one of those cameras, you know, remember the big flash bulb that went on top, it had like four sides. If you were the one with your eyes blinking in the family picture, too bad. Like they didn't take a second one. <laughs> so when I started, well, I mean, with this guy, the local photographer, it was kind of great because he made it super natural and easy. And I was, you know, I did my own hair and makeup. It wasn't like they tried to make me look like someone I wasn't. It's like anything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I think that 
for me, because I was kind of a natural student, then I would look not only at um, other people's pictures and, oh, oh, that's how they're doing it, but then also look at my own pictures and, and, and figure out, oh, next time I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do it differently next time. And then hopefully, um, if you're lucky, like I was, you have a couple of photographers who really believe in you and they'll mentor you. And for me, I found that in Chicago with the first photographer that really, he was an excellent photographer, but also really took me under his wing. His name is Victor Skribneski. And he kind of taught me how to model so that by the time I got to New York, I was ready. When you got to New York, you were with Elite, right? Yes. Yeah. Did they find you in Chicago or did you find them in New York or did they find you in New York? How did that, how did that come together? Well, I was with a local agency in Chicago called Stewart's that got acquired by Elite. And at that time, they had this thing called like the Elite Look of the Year contest. So my agency signed me up for that without me even knowing. And I got selected for the finals and I ended up in Acapulco with all these other, um, you know, women and, or young women. And I didn't win that, but I was in the top 10 and I met John Casablancas, who was the owner. And I met like the top booking agents there. And I was still in high school, but they would call me, Hey, do you want to come out for spring break? Or do you want to come out for the summer and model? And I knew I wasn't ready to move to New York yet. Like, I'm glad I didn't really move to New York until I was 20. I ended up graduating from high school. I went to New York in the summer. I had gotten accepted at Northwestern, went to college for a trimester, dropped out, continued to model in Chicago. And, and really only after I had like really outgrown Chicago, but I, but I, I had like grown up as well. That's when I moved to New York. What did you think of New York when you first got there? It was it was still a city in transition back then. I guess I didn't really even know. I always say Chicago is a small town with a lot of people. So Chicago was much more like my small town that I grew up in than like New York. And when I got to New York, I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to get a cab because I didn't, I didn't know that the light had to be on. Like no one explained that to me. And I was like, how come sometimes when I put my hand up, the cab stops and other times it doesn't. And it took me like a week to go, oh, the light has to be on. Now I got it. And I mostly was in, you know, down in the West Village and Soho. That's where most of like the fashion scene was. I have to say, I didn't have that experience of like a super seedy New York. Like, I guess I was kind of cloistered in that way that I was really in. I found my little group. When I moved to New York, I was already a model. I knew my people. I knew where I was going. I wasn't just wandering around New York aimlessly figuring it out, which helped. And then, you know, you, <clears throat> excuse me, ascended to being an, a supermodel, hmm. which, you know, how did it feel to be called that? Definitely having a success as a model was amazing. And, you know, getting my first Vogue cover and being part of like Gianni Versace's muses. I think when they started calling us supermodels, I thought it was silly. I really, I was like, what does that mean? It's like, that we have capes and we change in phone booths. Like it just, it seemed like very, had no offense, but it seemed like I always used to say when I would do House of Style, like I would call things like hip talk or like hype talk. Like I don't, I don't, I love words. So I don't like words that are kind of like fake or like I would say, what am I saying here? And like, to me, supermodel felt really cheesy, but it stuck. And what I've come to think it means is that, you know, being a model, especially in those days was you were seen and not heard. And it was very two-dimensional, you know, in a, in a magazine cover. So, but then when you were like a supermodel, people knew your name. They were, there was like some interest in you as a person. And I think that as I look back on that, you know, it was such a really fun time in my life. It was great. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So what would you say was your first big break? Like what was the what was the moment where you went from a up and coming newcomer in New York to like oh my god this could be the next big super I mean, I think as you know, there's usually like 10 little breaks before there's the one that's defined as the big break and and I had a lot of those, but I think the if I had to say the first big break was when I got my first Vogue cover. And Back then, the way they did it is you were booked for a photo shoot that was called a cover try. You weren't guaranteed the cover. And um, at the time, Richard Avedon was shooting all the Vogue covers and you would go and, you know, I did like three cover tries. And from that shoot, I got two covers. And I mean, it was a huge deal because at the time, Vogue was like the good house keeping seal of approval. It was like, if you made the cover of Vogue, if you were good enough for Vogue, you were good enough for everything else. And I think that led to many things, including Revlon, Pepsi, and MTV even, you know? <laughs> we'll get we'll get there, we'll yeah. get there. I mean, do you think that's still the case, Cindy, that like Vogue is still like, that's what you want to achieve if you're trying to be a success in the modeling business? Or as you were saying before, has it changed a lot because of the internet? I, Vogue is still super important. I think it's less important, but it's still very important. It's, you know, even for my daughter, it was like, until she had her, even though she was like huge and, you know, millions of followers and contracts, that thing in tennis where you want to like the grand slam, right? Like you, you, you haven't really done it all until you get and an American Vogue is still super influential. I, I think that that's becoming because Vogue is kind of merging and they're doing more international kind of issues now that will change. Social media certainly added this whole opportunity for everyone, but especially, you know, well, for any anyone in the public eye to all of a sudden you didn't need a magazine to write an interview about you. You could tell your own story in your own words, right. you could become your own publicist. And I think it's been really powerful. And some people really know how to do that. Well, it took definitely not my native language. Like a lot of these young people grew up in it and it's just, you know, they're very comfortable in that realm. For me, it's like something that I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, I don't want to beat the supermodel thing to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to move on to house the style in a second, but you know, the media, you know, created this thing and you know there was you know you and linda and christy and naomi and you know i think you know people out there got this sense like you all would hang out in this like secret lair someplace and Mm -hmm. you were like you know you were like super friends or something but what was like 
uh, were you, were you friends? Were you competitors? Were you both? And did you think the whole thing was just goofy? I think the supermodel lair is very cool. I have to say. <laughs> Please tell us where it is. No, I'd have to kill you. I would totally watch a movie series about models who are smart and beautiful and fight crime, like 100%. <laughs> well, that could, actually, the cool thing is we are doing a documentary. Linda and Christy and Naomi and I are doing a documentary with Apple and um, Imagine. And so we've been working on that, and I'm super excited about that. Can you tell us who's directing or producing? Uh, Roger Ross Williams is directing, and um, yeah, uh, the and Imagine producing. Imagine producing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it'll it's it's taken a few years to to get everyone on board, but we're we're we've started shooting, so, cool. so that's super exciting. That's great. But I think the idea, you know, models in general you're especially at a certain level it's not like all five of us were or four of us were on a shoot at the same time i mean it would be like so we our paths didn't cross that much except for during shows who could afford that well exactly (laughs) and like shows shows were really fun because those were the like we'd all be in paris at the same time for that week and then we would all go to milan for a week and then we'd all be in new york for a week and that was kind of i think the pictures that most people see of us together are usually behind, you know, backstage at a show or leaving a show or being at dinner after a show. Um, Certainly we are all friends and friendly 100%. And um, I mean, we, I guess we were competitors, but it was never like, Oh, I hope she doesn't get that job. It would be like, Oh, I wish I would have gotten that job. Um, And well, not in like a super team or or a or a or a you know a, like the Avengers or the Justice League. You all were very different from one another. Yes, all different looks and attitudes and styles, and you know, no one would ever mistake one for the other. That's no, and that was kind of interesting. Like we've talked about, like even if you tried to cast that as a group, like it was kind of perfectly cast. We all kind of had our own little personas, and and not intentional intentionally, just like the way that it the way that it happened organically. So, um, so many fun times with those women and, you know, and then everyone kind of went off and had kids and marriages and then like getting back together. Cause maybe every couple of years we'll do a shoot where I'm shooting with Christy or I was just in Paris doing the off white show and Naomi was there and Helena Christensen was there. And I think we have so much fun doing stuff together now because it's like, we just appreciate it more. And also we don't take ourselves. Yeah. You guys, you guys, have, you know, you, you, you guys won the game. Like you're like a championship team. You get to look back on the, you know, like, you know, how you crushed <laughs> yeah. the competition. You're like the Chicago bulls or something. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was I did like that um, documentary. So yeah. let's talk about house of style. Yeah. And I'm actually going to pose this to Cindy and to you, Doug, because from what I have read and understood, there was an interest at MTV in doing more coverage of fashion. And initially you tried to weave that into like MTV news, but Kurt Loder delivering news about fashion like didn't quite work. And so- Can't imagine why that's- I I don't know. It's a mystery. (laughs) Um, And so then the idea arose, uh, I think one of the producers, maybe I'm sure you remember who Doug said, hey, we should do a whole show about fashion. I want to hear your version, Doug, because you might yeah. know stuff I don't know. Well, the, well, the the way it started was, first of all, I, here's a question before you even get started. Okay. Did you did you watch Elsa Clench and were you a fan? And what did you think of that? Because Elsa on CNN was something that was a little bit of an inspiration for House of Style. Yes, I, I was aware of Elsa Clench once I became, you know, involved in the world of fashion and the way that she, um, I mean, that she was really the only one covering fashion in a way, but it was in a very highfalutin way, can I say, yeah. you know, like, and, um, but it was right for, for, you know, where she was reporting it at the time. Right. So, so there was Elsa Clench and then, you know, there was a lot of fashion crossover oriented stuff around music videos and rock stars and that kind of thing. And then the sales folk came to us one day and said, you know, we have all these sort of apparel companies that want to advertise on MTV. Could we ever do something around fashion? Um, and uh, we said, yeah, 
Um, we, and we did a weekend, I think. Um, and we might have even called it House of Style. I can't remember. Uh, Elisa Bellatini, of course, who went on to um, produce uh, House of Style alongside Cindy. Um, and maybe Julie Brown, downtown Julie Brown might have hosted the weekend. I can't remember. And it was a bit, people liked it. It was a big hit. And it's like, we should do this every week. Hmm. Well, then we were like, well, we need a host. And it probably shouldn't be downtown Julie Brown. Um, <laughs> uh, despite her, her, her fashion forward. Um, uh, and she was great. But we wanted, you know, we wanted an expert. And we started talking about, like, who should it be? I am not a fashion expert. Um, but um, my wife is a fashion fan. And there was magazines all over my house with Cindy Crawford on the cover. And I was like, hey, what about Cindy Crawford? And that's kind of how the ball got rolling, I think. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, I just got the call about doing it. But I had heard at one point that, you know, obviously, they wanted a fashion insider, which I was, but they also, because MTV's audience was more male than female, they wanted someone that appealed to men. And in that, I think right around that time, I had done Playboy and Vogue. So it was like, they couldn't, have, like, I, I just fit the bill to a T. I, I, I might have seen both of those magazines. But. <laughs> and maybe that Pepsi commercial was right around the same that, time. Yeah, that was a, that was a little later. We'll, 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 oh, was we'll, that right we'll, after? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But so somehow I appealed to the male audience and I, you know, I did swimsuit calendars and, and these kind of things, but also was a fashion insider. So when I got the call um, and I remember my agency did not, they were like, no, because they, I think I got scale. I got scale for many years, Doug, um, which I still have a bone to pick about that. No, just kidding. <laughs> But at that time in my career, it just seems something fun and different. And, and I always say that I credit House of Style with giving me an opportunity to, to talk and add that, another dimension to you know, my, how people saw me. So it was super important in my career. Forget about scale. I seem to remember, you tell me if I'm wrong, Cindy. I seem to remember you might've worked that first season for free. Is that, I that, is that, is that possible? Yeah, I think the first, like, I think that first year we only did two shows. Yeah, I mean, I think I brought my own wardrobe. I mean, it was definitely. <laughs> it was basic cable, Cindy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, but it was great. And I also, it was a great experience for me because that, I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, but I felt like when we did the first show, it wasn't like we made this big announcement and I better be good and whatever. It was kind of like, we just put it out there. And I definitely got better as the show got better. Um, and as they gave me a teleprompter, um, which helped a lot. Um, I had to, I had to earn that though. You know, I only got that in season three. Wait, um, what did you do before? You just memorized things or just yeah. talked off the cuff? They would have me memorize, not, yeah, memorize. And then, cause another thing that actually really helped and Alisa was amazing. I loved the producer, Alisa. We got along great. And she would let me eventually started letting me write my own wraparounds, which helped a lot too, because then it was really my voice. And then, so what she would do is write me or she would send me, she would fax me a, um, <laughs> a script and then I would rewrite it in my, my own words. And then, and I would be like, that's, that's MTV hip speak. Like when, when you weren't really saying anything, but it was like a lot of words that sounded cool. I was like, no, let's, let's actually say words that mean something like, let's be intentional about this. But Elisa loved fashion in a way that I never did. I mean, she loved fashion more than I did. She lived for it. And it was so fun because then because of me, I was able to give a different kind of access than she probably would have gotten. Like she needed me for access really, but, but the, the, the passion for fashion without sounding super cheesy was hers. Yeah. She had a lot of, lot of passion for it, a lot of ideas and, mm -hmm. a, and a lot of ideas on how to make it accessible. Um, in yeah. a way that was very different from, say, Elsa Clench, which is yes, like know. the whole high-low thing and having Todd Oldham on, like chopping up tires and making sandals on them. Like, so much of that was like Elisa's, you know, came from Elisa's ideas about, you know, what fashion, you know, should be. And like, it was such a unique time because yes, there was like the runways, but as Doug said, like there was like what's happening in music videos, but there was also street fashion. And I think House of Style brought all three of those 
a way, or, I mean, together in a way that was really unique. And I remember when we got a review in the New York Times and it said, it called House of Style, silly, superficial, and wonderful. And Elisa and I were like, yes, we love this. <laughs> I think we got t-shirts printed with that on it because we were like, that's fashion. Right, exactly. And it should be, it should be all those things. Yes. Right. right. It's not, yeah, it's not supposed to be and, something it's not. And we weren't trying to make it something it wasn't. Like if anything, we were, we were, you know, taking the piss out of it sometimes. We were having fun with it. And I think, you know, we were also showing, um, you know, demystifying there wasn't such a thing as behind the scenes then. If you think about it, we were so ahead of the times. There was no behind the scenes. There was no showing Naomi Campbell putting on her pimple cream at the end of the night before House of Style. And and, and now you see like, um, I mean, now we're so used to that. But if you think about then, it was super original. I went back and I was watching as much House of Style as I could find on YouTube before we had this conversation. And it really was um, remarkable to me, like how much of it is now reflected in the culture. Like even just the idea of showing people how to do makeup. I think I was watching one where they were showing how to uh, do eyebrows. And I'm like, this <laughs> is every tutorial that's on TikTok and, and YouTube now. Um, so all the elements in that show, I felt like were really ahead of their time. Yeah. yeah, and it just it just made it so accessible, you know. You know, for me, a guy, it was all you know. It was like, well, there was the magazines that my wife would read, and mm -hmm. and 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 which are inaccessible to me, except there's you know beautiful women on the covers. Um, and all of a sudden, you had a TV show where you it just made it fun and funny, um, and it was just fun to watch. Whether it was, and that was the I think a little bit of the magic of MTV was, you know, whether it was sports or fashion or news. Um, just making it a little more accessible and kind of talking to the audience in a way they really understood it. Yeah, and I think what's what's really cool is that, you know, if you're an athlete or you're a, a musician or you're a model, pretty much mostly what you get asked is about modeling or music or acting. MTV, no, <laughs> you might be, you know, it was it was like, you know, taking Duran Duran shopping at Sears or, um, you know, shoe shopping with Cheryl Crow or jumping on a bed and trying on clothes with Tracy Allman. It was just, it was Oh my God. Fun. As you're mentioning these things, I'm remembering every yes. one of them. It's crazy. Oh, I remember. And Alyssa would be like, well, we wouldn't even have ideas half the time. They would just happen, you know, be like, we're going to do this and then see what happens. Okay. Um, and that was fun for me. I, I got a lot of practice at like just going with the flow and being good on my feet. And it's funny, I did a, um, I'm doing something with the Property Brothers, um, one of their shows this week. And the producer was like, wow, you should have your own show. And I'm like, oh, I did because like, <laughs> I, I, I know how to, you know, you kind of know what the edits are going to be. You know how to create that after doing it, um, and especially in the way we did it at MTV then, which was really like guerrilla TV show making. <laughs> I, I wanna back up for a second because you mentioned something that was on my list of things to talk to you about, which is the extremely important trip to Sears that you took with Nick Rhodes and Simon Le Bon. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can, I want you to tell me every detail about it, even though I've seen <laughs> the segment. It'll, it might take us two hours, but Doug is fine with that. <laughs> tell me everything you remember about that. Well, Fortunately, I knew those guys because Simon um, is still married, but was married at the time to Yasmin Laban, who is, you know, one of the models of my generation. So mm -hmm. I knew those guys. I don't know who dreamed up the wacky idea to take them to Sears and to try on dresses in the women's department. I mean, <laughs> okay. Um, but what I loved about it is how they just went for it. And we just all had fun. And that's the thing. It was like, whatever you want to call reality TV, unscripted drama, whatever you want to call it we weren't referencing anything because there were no references. I think now when they do that, they can reference back to House of Style and a lot of the other shows that MTV did. We were just like making it up as we went along and it worked because it was an opportunity for, for people to just show their humanness, you know, and, and have fun and not take everything so seriously 
And I mean, we, we got everyone for House of Style. I mean, we got anyone we wanted for House of Style. People wanted to do it. It was great. And, and then it was just like, you know, okay, what, what crazier position, you know, what are we going to do now? Cereal shopping with Hanson or, or no, with um, Onyx, I think. Uh, yeah. I think um, that's on, I think that's on Onyx. YouTube. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, there was some I mean, you, pretty out the, there. MTV would throw everybody at you. Of course, like you said, they all wanted to be on House Style, all wanted to meet Cindy Crawford, yeah. but uh-huh, like well. heavy metal bands and yeah. new wave bands and hip hop groups did you have to spend any time learning more about music or dig it in a little bit or you just took them as they came (laughs) well I definitely first of all like we couldn't google stuff then right (laughs) so how would I learn this for Alyssa loved also music especially hip-hop and stuff so but I think a couple times like I just didn't do the homework and that also worked um in the sense that I remember at the um Freddie Mercury tribute at Wembley um, I was, that wasn't for House of Style, but it was for MTV. And I was like backstage and I have my IFB in and they're like, okay, um, Led Zeppelin's coming your way. And I'm not kidding. I said, which one is he? And <laughs> that's the appropriate response, but I didn't know. I mean, Iggy Pop is a person. Led Zeppelin could be a person. Yes. So they're like, no, it's the whole band. <laughs> so we have many things like that, that happen on House of Style. Like um, one time at the VMAs, I think I was interviewing Chris Robinson. He had these super cool suede pants on with these leaves um, embroidered on them. And I'm like, oh my God, those are so cool. What, tell me about your pants. And he's like, um, uh, he said, oh, they're cannabis leaves. And I was like, what's that? And as I said it, I realized, oh, he's probably, that's probably marijuana. Um, But, you know, as a good girl from DeKalb, Illinois, I did not know that. And, but as it came out of my mouth, I kind of knew what I was saying. And I was like, just kidding. I tried to cover, but I think he knew that I didn't know. Was was that, you said, was that live? You said on VMAs? Well, it ended up. It It ended up getting on the show. It's in the show. So it's in the piece. Um, And things like that, even, so then, then we figured out that that was kind of funny, played it. And like, there's a thing with Will Smith where um, he's wearing a hat and I'm like, oh yeah, Humpty does that. And he goes, eh, not Humpty, you know, Humpty Dumpty or whatever. But it it became part of my persona on House of Style was that, you know, I was just like, I wasn't always not knowing what's going on and that was okay, you know? Well, you were such an amazing team player for MTV and a great sport. And, you know, you were, as you said, not making as much in a season as you probably made, you know, a day doing a, a, a Vogue <laughs> cover, certainly a Pepsi commercial. But, you know, I can remember you at VMAs, at the movie awards, at Rock and Jock softball games. Was there like, you know, you were you were really, you know, up for anything. And like I said, always, always a great sport. Any of those sort of types of events, you know, bring back any sort of specific anecdotes or memories? I mean, all, all of them, like I, and especially like as stuff, comes up in my feed and Instagram and I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll see pictures of me with like Daryl Strawberry at like, you know, playing baseball because of MTV or, um, you know, always the award shows were great because it was, you know, except for that one time RuPaul and I were wearing the same dress. I didn't like that. Um, but I that's mean, not, that's, that's not true. Very simple. <laughs> <laughs> Who wore best? Yeah, maybe Rue. But, you know, just all the people I got to meet and work with. And and it was it was a great opportunity for me to learn like a totally different thing that I wasn't learning doing modeling. So I, you know, those were great years. And then finally, I think, you know, I I only really left after seven years because I was like, how many times can I go shopping with a celebrity? you know, it was, it was like, I didn't want it be phoning it in. I loved every did you minute do it? of it. You did it for seven years. Yeah. I think that's so. like think three, that's like three lifetimes on MTV. Yeah, exactly. I think with well, the first two years, I think we only did two shows a year. It was pretty, ah, got it. you know, we didn't start cranking. I think until after that, you did also appear in another iconic MTV piece of programming, which was the George Michael freedom 90 video. Mm, yeah which was, again, and that was something I think anybody who was watching MTV at that time will never forget. Heavy Rotation George was a huge star. I think people almost forget how big George Michael was. What was the, uh, what was the origin story of, you know, the, of, of the four of you getting involved in that video? Yeah, actually, there was a fifth. 
Tatiana was in there too, but, and there were two male models that no one seems to remember, but (laughs) I remember getting that call. And interestingly, David Fincher directed that video. I don't know if you remember that. That's right. I mean, I'd worked with David before on some other things. And George had this idea, which if you think about was pretty original at the time, not to be in his own music video. Yeah. Especially for George Michael, who was a good looking guy. And he, as we know, which, cause we know the song now, like that was a big statement for him, but I wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was like, does this fit into my schedule? And it Fincher's directing. And I remember me, Christy, Linda, Naomi, and Tatiana had done a British Vogue cover and that cover George had seen, and he wanted, you know, that group of women. So they asked all of us to do it, figured out dates that worked. They sent us um, Walkmans with tapes of the song so that we could learn to lip sync the song. Was it and, like a single? Yeah. It was, <laughs> like a single, I love it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was just like the one little thing that you put in your Walkman. And I remember listening to it on the plane over. And then, yeah, I got there, did my part. Like I didn't really overlap with the other women. Kind of everyone was scheduled. I didn't. I, did you ever meet I George? I had met, you know, I had met George and I met him certainly at one of the award shows. Award shows. Where after that, where we presented together. But, and this sounds terrible. I truly can't remember if he was there that day because it was like a job. Like I just, I got in the tub. I, you know, did my thing. And then I put the towel on my head. Did my, And I was kind of like, really? Like I'm came all this way and I'm in a tub with greasy hair and then a towel on my head. What is this? Anyway, left. Then the video came out. And the, first of all, the song, I mean, the song to this day, if I'm in a club or a restaurant or a bar and that comes on, I'm just like, I'm there and I'm in a great mood. Obviously the song and the video just, I think that was one of those situations where the song was great and the video was great. And together they were huge. And it was in heavy rotation on MTV. And then Gianni Versace did a fashion show where he played that song at the end. And me, Christy, Linda, and Naomi walked out at the end to that song. And that was that was a huge moment. And, and it was truly, I think, representative of, of like bringing fashion and music and pop culture together. It was all crystallized for me in that one moment. Beautiful video. And, you know, George, you know, made a huge statement by not being in it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, he kind of takes a couple of digs at MTV in the song. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the boys at MTV. Thank you very uh-huh. much. You know, it's it's just iconic and it holds yeah. up, you know, it holds up to the state, both the video and, and the song itself. To me. It's, yeah, it's I think, I mean, yes, he was using you guys as as an example of like authority, but really you know, what he was saying is like, I don't want to pretend to be someone I'm not. And what a great message for our generation. Right. And he just didn't mm-hmm. want to be just seen as a pretty face. I mean, he was a mm-hmm. sex symbol in mm-hmm. his own right. You know, on top of being a, he was an amazing performer, amazing mm-hmm. writer, amazing artist, but he was also a sex symbol, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was a male supermodel, you know, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, right? Everybody loved George Michael. But right. he was a sex symbol who had to be kind of closeted. Yeah, yes. I think. Yeah, yeah. Compli- I think, complicated. Yeah, so I think like him saying, I'm, "I'm," I mean, that was pretty awesome. Him just saying, "I'm not playing this game anymore," you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious. David Fincher is now famous for being a filmmaker who does take after take after take. Was he doing that then when you did the video? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it was in budget okay. to do then. But I mean, definitely, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't remember. I would remember if he truly tortured me. So I don't think it was so bad. <laughs> the Pepsi commercial mm-hmm. was was sort of in this era too. Was that, yes. a, a, was that a Super Bowl commercial? Yes, it was originally done for Super Bowl, I don't know, 91 or 92. And who was the director on that? Joe Pitka. And he does one take, unless if you don't hit your mark or screw up, then he makes you do another take. But if you hit your mark, he's like, okay, we got it. Next one. Super Bowl commercials, cool for an American girl. And Pepsi is such a, like an iconic American brand. So of course I said, yes, love the concept. And again, that was one of those commercials where I think if you heard the music come on, you, you knew what commercial was coming and having me and the cutoffs was great. But what really 
was the X factor was these two little boys that they were talking about how beautiful the can was like there was a sense of humor and charm that I think that made it easy for women to like as well like it wasn't like a Carl's Jr. ad where it was just like a hot girl like washing a car and eating a burger like it had this other element of this charm of these two little boys going like is that a great looking can or what you know like that was what I think made that commercial so appealing to everyone well you you were you were sort of cast in that really as sort of like you know kind of like the girl next door, yeah. the ultimate girl next door. <laughs> well, thank you. We, we've talked a little about the kind of legacy of House of Style, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about the way we talk about fashion and how it's evolved since that show was on, because I feel like people didn't really take it very seriously. And I feel like that has changed a lot within even, let's say, the past decade. I, I feel like, I mean, I'm a journalist and I just see a lot of other journalists writing about it with more care, with more thought. And I think it's not seen as something that is just silly and vapid necessarily. But I'm wondering if you feel that way too. Most of our design, like the designers, especially like, you know, of a house like Chanel and Prada. I mean, they are artists. I mean, so many of the designers, like they're they're Renaissance people. They can paint, they can do music or architecture or whatever. Like they're true Renaissance people. And fashion just happens to be their medium that they're working in right now. So fashion is at its highest in art. It's also a business. And other people, like if you had a job, you still went to work the next day, even though you felt terrible about what's happening in the world, you're like, I got to go to work. And I think fashion people were even hyper sensitive to that because it's like we just look like oh we're just drinking you know champagne and doing these fashion shows so i i do think that because there's more opportunity for designers to express their ideas you know from their own mouths on social i think that people are able to see like the thoughtfulness of what goes behind these collections and the inspiration, not just the bag of the season that they might want to buy. You mentioned your daughter a couple of times, Cindy, who's now a model of some note herself. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel about it when she decided to enter this business and and what kind of advice did you give her or did you give her any? Yeah, I think um, I certainly didn't push her into it, but she started getting pursued by some agents. And I guess, look, it's been good to me. I don't, I've had, fortunately, I haven't had like any bad experiences. And I mean, I've had someone chop my ponytail off, but that's about as aggressive as it gets, but (laughs) which was pretty traumatic by the way. But I felt like if she wanted it, who better than me to help guide her through it. And I was kind of like, okay, if you want to do this and helped guide her. I think the only advice I gave her, which is the same advice I gave my son when he had his first job working at a smoothie place, which was be on time, stay off your phone and be prepared. So we we always finish up by asking uh, our guests, uh, other than their own show, Mm -hmm. what is your all time favorite basic cable show? You know, this is actually the hardest question you asked me because (laughs) I am not the huge, like, I, like if you ask me my ta- my favorite TV show, I would say like 60 Minutes, you know? Um, <laughs> that's probably the most consistent show that All I've right. watched over years. And I, and I actually feel like I missed a whole decade of television watching in the 90s. Like even I was recently on like the Friends reunion and I realized like I didn't consume television at that time because we traveled and, and I, okay. CNN was probably the most watched thing that I watched because that was available. Even if you were in a hotel room in Bali, the problem was you got it the same story every half hour. So that got old. Yeah. I, that's hard. I mean, is Game of Thrones cable? No, it's, it is, it's, but it's HBO. It's, yeah, but HBO. Oh, so well, see, I don't even know what now. And, and now it's so confusing. It's well, that's like, the whole nobody thing. Knows. Exactly. Nobody Someone knows. will tell me a show to watch and then I have to Google where we're here to trying watch. to preserve the memory of basic cable. That's what we're that's what that's our mission here. So so, so like, it's what? about it's about to go away because you know the streamers are taking over and that industry that you know I certainly grew up in and you yeah had a had a great role in um you know, probably not going to be around forever. So, yeah, uh, I mean, because I remember when there was like the three channels, maybe plus one, right? And yeah. then, and then there was like the 
and then and then that's when cable came along and yeah you know we you know you know cnn mtv espn and you know those were those were those were the those are the days we're talking about here yeah and then you could get like movies that was cool i mean <laughs> yeah. really like um, and now there's too many choices and I just, I, I'm tired by the time I decide what I want to watch. <laughs> well, I, 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 all right. I got, I got one for you. Just out of curiosity, okay. given that you're in the sort of home design, does you ever watch any of those home reno shows, any of that stuff? Um, yeah, I do so, a little sometimes. A little. And that's why I agreed to do, I'm doing, well, I can't really say which one, um, but all yeah, right. I'm doing, I'm doing one right now, which will be really fun. So, cool. I mean, it's with the property brothers, but one of theirs. We really appreciate you being here today. And it was a lot of fun to have you. Thank you. It's fun to, to remember all those great times. Yeah, thanks, Cindy. It was so great. Thanks, Jen. So that was just a wonderful conversation with Cindy Crawford. And I'll tell you what my main takeaway from it is. You owe her money. <laughs> you owe her restitution of all kinds. Y'all wouldn't give her a teleprompter. She had to memorize stuff. It's outrageous what you did to that woman. House of Style and Cindy, I think, did something interesting for fashion, which uh, we got a little chance to talk about, right? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but I'm, as I was saying to her, going back and looking at some of those old clips, old episodes, I mean, it wasn't just like the tutorials, it was this idea of, there was one fashion show that they had covered and they would just show different people walking down the runway and put like a label on it, like most whatever, like give it a superlative. And that's something that every fashion blogger would eventually start doing the same right. thing. Just, I think the way, the language around the way they were talking about it, which was both accessible, like, hey, here's how you could maybe wear this or maybe do this with your makeup, but then also taking you into these, you know, really elite fashion shows. It was this real nice balance of high, low brow at the same time that I, I just feel like. Well, they weren't precious about it, which right. was, which is how a lot of, I don't know, you, you would know, I think better than me, I think the fashion magazines or Women's Wear Daily would cover things. They brought a real sense of fun and accessibility to it and and kind of demystified it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you're right. I think the fashion magazines would either write about it in a way that was very precious and very pretentious, or fashion would just be treated as something that is totally stupid and who cares? It was like one or the other. And I feel like that has changed a lot in recent years, just in terms of the way that fashion is covered and written about by people who aren't necessarily like specifically fashion reporters. I think it has a lot more respect. And I, I just had never really thought about it in terms of how that all relates back to House of Style. But in preparing for this, I, I could really see kind of like a dot there, a dot here and a line connecting. Well, in terms of that, you know, lines and dots, and we didn't really talk about this with her, but fashion, in the music world, those worlds were coming closer together. In fact, just prior to the sort of House of Style era, which was 1992, there had been that new romantic era of music. Sorry, you do right? not need to tell me. I, well, I, I, I was going to say, this is <laughs> this is where your favorite band Duran Duran is from. But but that whole new, new romantic era, you know, the Duran Durans and the culture clubs. Rock, well, Roxy Music was really Roxy, like- Roxy, well, Brian Ferry, of course, but they would get a lot of criticism as being all about fashion and less about the music. And fashion began to take this bigger place in the world of pop music. That, I was thinking about that too. And, and I think, and it wasn't just like the Durans and the culture clubs. I mean, I think there was a whole sense of like, being in a music video and caring about your image is like not what a rock and roll person is supposed to do. That's right. And there was a sense, as, as you know better than I do, from some people of like real resistance to that. And then eventually, like reluctantly, you would have the Eric Clapton's like do videos, but it wasn't like they were as creative as some of the other people's videos were. But I remember, you know, I remember like even Bruce Springsteen, who hadn't done a video, you know, sort of got a lot of um, shit for dancing in the dark because, you know, his hair was quaffed and the collar was turned up and he had makeup on. And, you know, it was the hardcore fans, you know, you know, didn't love that. But that was a little bit of what you had to do to get in the game. Right. Right. And so the idea that fashion would be something that would be talked about on MTV like makes absolute and complete sense given what we're talking about. And, and the whole origin of it was the look of it was, was part of the music. It made that, it made that a real thing. Well, the, and the other person whose name didn't come up, who I also preceded this and I think maybe set the table a little bit might've been Madonna. Oh yeah, for sure. 
right? Sure. I mean, right, because she, you know, fashion became very much a part of not only her music videos, but just her overall persona and brand and, and the look would change video to video and album to album and tour to tour. And it just became an organic part of, you know, sort of the mix there, I think. And people would, you know, girls and women would would dress like her. And in right. fact, we didn't ask her about this, but I just remembered in the, the MTV or history book, I think Cindy actually talked about really being a fan of Madonna. Yeah, I wish I, I wish we could go back now and ask yeah. her about that. I wonder if they ever met. I'm sure they you did. You would think they would have, right? Yeah. I'm going to guess Madonna and Cindy Crawford probably crossed paths at some point. I, I will choose to believe you because I, I just don't want to live in a world where it didn't happen. So. <laughs> well, she was an amazing guest. A lot of fun to have. It was it was uh, it was great to see her. And um, I hope you'll all join Jen and I again next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog, produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the Sirius XM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.